0: The show you love with even more local local news news and more local talk. talk. The voice of the valley, the Mike Douglas show now weekdays from three till five on air and online. Power Talk 1360
1: KFIV. And a good Monday host, afternoon Mike to Douglas. you here on the Mike Douglas show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Nice to have you with us. A beautiful, beautiful, almost summery day here in California's Central Valley. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. This is one of those days, the beginning of the week, where we have a fifty-pound load to fit into a five-pound bag. But <laughs> we're going to do our best uh, to take a look at all of the information coming at us very, uh, very quickly. Of course, the big story of the day: Elon Musk has uh, or is becoming the owner of Twitter. How about that? Costing him. Let's see what. $54.20 per share, <laughs> that's, that's equates to, what, more than $40 billion to acquire Twitter? I just worry about paying my mortgage every month $40 billion to own Twitter. Uh, so he uh, <clears throat> is going to be personally responsible for around half of the financing. The rest comes from uh, loans from or arranged by Morgan Stanley. Elon Musk tweeting earlier today, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. How about that? So so do you think it'll make a difference to Twitter on Twitter? Do you even care about Twitter? I don't normally tweet. I monitor some Twitter accounts. Uh, because there are some reporters that, um, that I follow. For example, I just uh, just pulled this up from a, a great... I, I'm very impressed by this guy, Bill Malugan. Uh, he started out at um, uh, Fox News, uh, the Fox affiliate in L.A. Is that Channel 11? I'm going back in my Southern California synapses here. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, now working for Fox Network. And he just sent out this tweet. A federal judge issued a temporary restraining order to prohibit Title 42 from being dropped. He says, now we'll see how the Biden administration responds. The big deal about that is Title 42, of course, was put into effect at at the beginning of the pandemic. And it allows the federal government to expel migrants under a public health emergency. So the Biden administration had been looking at maybe lifting Title 42 in May, mid-May, perhaps. Well, now, <clears throat> apparently, a federal judge has issued a temporary restraining order saying, nope, you uh, you must at least for now keep Title 42 in effect. The worry amongst many was that t- the lifting of Title 42 would really throw the um Doors, so to speak, of the border open, and that thousands upon thousands of um, immigrants would come over over the border once title forty two is lifted. so a long way of saying, I watch uh, Twitter for certain people that I think have integrity and do a good job. I don't often tweet myself uh, advancing vibrant communities this is this is one of those things where. You have to if if you're going to be known, you have to be on social media. I've found that out. And so I learned to to operate within social media, whether it be Facebook or, or Twitter, uh, whatever it might be. But uh, I think this will be a good thing. Do you, Elon Musk now owning Twitter? I um, now, do I think Elon Musk is a dyed in the wool conservative? No. No, I don't. However, I think he has a good business mind. <laughs> That's why he's um, perhaps one of the one of, if not the wealthiest person in America. I think he's got a good business mind, and I think he has a sense of fairness. And so, I I think he will bring some sensibility to Twitter. It's very it's demonstrable now. There's no secret that Twitter has been squelching narratives that Twitter doesn't like. And so that that really ceases to make Twitter a, a valid source of, of general information because uh, Twitter shuts down narratives that it doesn't like. Uh, for example, uh, former President Donald Trump, they didn't like his tweets, so they took him off Twitter. Uh, my understanding is uh, Trump doesn't care, not coming back, Twitter I, to Twitter I think he's uh, I think he said he wishes Elon Musk well in the venture but uh, he's got his own deal going and, and so I doubt that uh, anytime soon however we'll see come uh, as the election really ramps up to 2024 whether uh, former President Trump comes back to Twitter or not but getting back to the main subject matter here Elon Musk is now becoming the owner of Twitter. Do you think that's a good thing? Do you think Elon Musk will be able to create positive change in Twitter? Our number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Again, uh, Elon Musk tweeting earlier today, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. I like that. Uh, I like Elon Musk, and we may not agree on everything, but I like his entrepreneurial spirit, and uh, he may have other reasons than I would have for doing some of the things he does. That's fine. I just admire someone with that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, and uh, the man obviously is willing to put money where his uh, tweet is, so to speak. And so, uh, anyway, we'll we'll see what happens with that. I, you know, change is a change is a tough thing. It really is. And I would assume that the reason he's has expended over forty billion dollars. <laughs> can you imagine that? Do you have <clears throat> any idea? Maybe some of you do. I don't. Can you imagine having access to forty billion dollars? Like we might say, well, we're Gonna buy a new car, you know. I, I, it's 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 mind-boggling. As is the U.S. deficit and the U.S. budget and all of that and the trillions. But I, it I, it's hard for me to get my mind wrapped around what forty billion dollars is really about, and, and having access to that to go buy something that you want to change. And obviously, he felt strongly enough about it to uh, to expend that kind of cash. So I, uh, but 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 getting back to change, and I, I've learned this uh, the hard way. Uh, I've learned this both in uh, command of certain things, and divisions, departments, and people in government. I've learned it in the. Traditional organized church structure. I've learned it in the nonprofit structure. Change is often best accomplished on a slow but steady schedule. Rapid change tends to create havoc and mutiny and other sorts of things. However, when you're dealing with deep state issues when you're dealing with toxic cultures that's another matter and we'll be talking about that in in just a just a couple of minutes You know, talking about affecting change, I I needed to change the way I approach real estate, and I have the answer now. When it comes to selling your home these days, I think it takes an expert. My go-to expert is Dan Phipps. Good reasons right now to sell. Prices are up, inventory's low, and future interest rates are uncertain. So do you have maybe a growing family, or you're working from home, or you just need more space? Well, call the agent I trust, Dan Phipps. Dan's proprietary marketing system guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours for full market value or Dan will sell it for free. His home selling program designed to maximize your sales price. You're in complete control. No required costly repairs. Love that one. If I ever have to sell no long term con, no long term contracts at all. No required costly repairs. You pick your own move date and Dan can even find you a new home before you move. Carrie and Melissa and Merced, they tell us that due to some of their life changes, they needed to sell in a hurry, but they needed full value for their home. He heard They heard about Dan Phipps' guaranteed sale program, and they gave him the job. So Carrie and Melissa say day one, Dan launched into action. He says uh, sold our home in days, got us 30000 more than the same house, only a block away. So call Dan Phipps. Dan is the man I recommend, and I would hire to sell my own home He's the only agent who guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours or it's sold free. Call Dan Phipps, 209 840 6378, or go to danphipps.com. That's Dan Phipps with three Ps, dot com. And the Mike Douglas Show will continue in three minutes on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas Show now
0: weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you every weekday from 3 till 5. Download the free iHeartRadio app and follow 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation. And of course as we have noted the big story of the day, Elon Musk, now the owner of Twitter. And don't you wish you had 40 billion dollars just, you know, to buy something you'd you'd like to change? Wow! <clears throat> Again, I admire him. I more power to him. I, I love an entrepreneurial spirit, and even though he and I may not agree on everything, I <clears throat> I I love this is to me this is American capitalism and freedoms at work, and uh, he is in, intent on I think writing what he sees as a wrong that Twitter had been squelching uh, free speech. Uh, Twitter had been working against the First Amendment uh, in his mind, and I, my mind as well. Now, what he'll do with it, how he will affect change, we'll see. And what do you think? Will Elon Musk, as the owner of Twitter, be able to improve it, make it more fair? Our number here, 209-551-3483, 209 551 Three four eight three. Change is tough. In uh, in even the best kind of change is tough. Any kind of change creates creates angst. Uh, embedded into uh, the process of change is always fear of the unknown. And when there is any type of fear, whether it's of the unknown or even the known, fear creates uh, problems. It pre- creates problems with employees, with customers, with boards, etc. So that's that's always an issue. <clears throat> and I'm wondering what what the employees of of Twitter are um, are thinking right now, especially those who develop the algorithms and such. Here's uh, here's an interesting thought: the the best way I found to bring about change, is to bring it on very deliberately, but also slowly. Uh, trying, and I have seen pastors it, within the uh, congregational environment, I have seen pastors get fired not too long after they were hired. Or I've seen pastors just have a, uh, a horrible season dealing with a congregation because they tried to affect change way too quickly, way too deeply. Now, let me give you an exception, though. And I've had experience with this in government. Uh, and I learned that the hard way as a, a 30-something trying to affect positive change when some of the people under my command were in their 50s or 60s nearing retirement age and didn't like uh, were they perceived as a thirty-some odd year old whippersnapper uh, telling them what they should do and trying to change things? Uh, it was tough, and but let, let me deal with a an anomaly here, and that is when there is toxicity involved, when it's a toxic environment, and I don't I don't mean the. The snowflake kind of reaction to, it's not my way, I don't feel comfortable, I need a cry space. No, no, I'm talking about good employees, uh, but, a, but a system where some toxins have worked themselves through the root system, into the root system of the particular organization. When there is a, a toxicity involved Oftentimes change has to wait for removing the toxins. Because if one tries to create change with the toxins present, the toxins win because the toxins infect anything and everyone that is involved in what you're trying to do. Let me do it now regardless, because I know we have many types of listeners here, regardless of what you think of Donald Trump. He obviously had a lot of opposition within the federal government when he became president. Uh, They called it the deep state. And I think, my opinion, one of the reasons he had such a hard time internally was that he kept people in place who were toxic and they needed to go. Now, the problem is, (laughs) depending on how far down that toxicity goes, can you actually ever get rid of it? Well, you start by getting rid of the obvious, and I think he might have had a smoother transition and a smoother time, although Congress was was out there to give him the worst time that they could in general, and even uh, some of his Republican counterparts didn't quite like him in the presidency either, so he had a lot working against him. But the point being That in a toxic environment, pretty much in order to move ahead, in order to create positive, healthy change, you need to jettison those elements that are toxic. Uh, Think of it like you're riding all on a bus. You have a team on a bus, but some of those team members don't like where the bus is going and they don't like you as the leader. What do you need to do? You need to stop the bus, open up the door and invite or force the people who are toxic who are working against the team off the bus you're no longer needed here because you're working against the team now that's assuming they're in a type of position where you can do that Um, some union type things you can't do that very hard very difficult but in, uh, in, a, in a structure where people are working against where the flow is going to create healthy change, oftentimes you need to get those people who want to row the other way, who want to drive the other way, need to get them off the bus. That's just the reality. That's the way it is. Because if you leave them on the bus, they will create problems, they will create problems for the bus driver. They will create problems for the people on the bus. And when you stop to have some breaks on the way, they will create problems during the breaks. It's just the way it is. And so I'm wondering how Elon Musk is going to approach the change in, in Twitter. Now, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to make change. Why would you plunk down $40 billion or with a B Forty billion or more, if you weren't going to, uh, if you weren't going to create change. Now, here's one. Here's an interesting uh, dynamic. I will probably learn about that from sources other than Twitter. And again, just because I I am not on Twitter as part of my lifestyle, I don't tweet hardly at all. And when it comes to advancing vibrant communities, we use Twitter very sparingly to get word out about certain things uh, that we may be doing where we, we would want volunteer participation and such. But generally, I don't, uh, I don't live on social media. And some of you maybe, well, how come I can't get a hold of him on Facebook Messenger? I can't get a hold of him on Twitter or can't get a hold of him on whatever it might be. LinkedIn. LinkedIn is still a mystery to me. But anyway, <clears throat> the reason you can't is, is I, I, don't, I don't live there. I, I do emails, mikeon1360 at gmail.com, mikeon1360 at gmail.com. I'll acknowledge receipt of the email. If there are too many, I may not have time to individually answer all, but at least I will give you an, an acknowledgement that I read it. But that's about it. I um, I don't live in, in social media. Well, I there are people who live on Instagram or live on, in the context of TikTok. I think that's unhealthy because it's not reality. There are no, I don't want to say controls, but there are no uh, balance mechanisms in place to make sure that a balanced narrative is there. It's either one side or the other. And the one side you can probably uh, very plainly see. So we'll continue to talk about that. By the way, Federal government has a change in the Ukrainian refugee program. This is interesting. I'll tell you about it in 5 minutes. I seems kind of hypocritical to me, but we'll take a look at it coming up in 5 minutes here on the Mike Douglas show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. We'll be back.
0: Mike Douglas show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to the Mike Douglas show, the voice of the valley, Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas show. Mike Douglas here, your personal concierge for conversation here Monday through Friday 3 to 5 p.m. on Power Talk 1360 K-F-I-V. So happy to have you with us. Our opportunity to be live and local, and we appreciate that opportunity here so you and I can uh, discuss and very respectfully and rationally and reasonably talk about the issues of the day, work those through uh, with our viewpoints uh, so that we can better understand our positions. And uh, I, I've i often uh, considered maybe I need to rethink a situation based upon my conversations with you, and I, I hope you've benefited from those as well. Uh, one of the interesting Notes that, of course, the big story today, Elon Musk, now the owner of, of Twitter, uh, to the tune of some $40 billion he's, he's putting down to own the company, talking about uh, change and, and such. Um, I, thinking of change, I would think that given the many years of, of stringent California rules uh, from uh, the, the air quality management districts and such. I, I would think, due to all of Californians' stringent rules and laws regarding air quality, that we ought to be looking pretty good to the rest of the nation in terms of our air quality. Uh, Dateline Sacramento. The American Lung Association released a report last week on where the worst smog pollution is in the United States of America. California didn't fare so well. Yeah, this report says (laughs) the worst smog pollution in the country goes to the Los Angeles-Long Beach metro area. California is home to 11 of the 25 most polluted cities including the Sacramento-Roseville area, which came in at number nine. And uh, the Central Valley has three cities in the top five worst pollution cities, and those include Bakersfield, Visalia, and Fresno. (laughs) And so here's the tagline to this report. To reduce pollution, riding your bike, taking public transit, and going electric are ways to help. Huh? How? It, 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 it ride your bike to work. How many people live a close enough to ride their bike to work? And b how many people like I have to and my staff many times we're coming home in the dark. Would you like to ride your bike through some of the areas that you have to ride through to go home at night, riding your bike? The way people are driving today, riding your bike to me is is taking your life in your hands at night, especially at dusk. That's even worse. Taking public transportation. Does public transportation get you where you need to go on time for work? Does it? And what about going electric? Well, and we've hit this many, many times. Electric vehicles take a lot of fossil fuel energy in order to create those electric vehicles. And then when the batteries go the way of the buffalo, those batteries are a big problem in terms of being toxic waste. So I, um, I don't know. Here we go. California, with some of the most stringent rules, has, according to the American Lung Association, some of the worst smog pollution in the United States of America. I, um, now, I will tell you, being from growing up in Pasadena, born and raised in Pasadena, California, in Southern California, I remember during my elementary school days, uh, there were there at Longfellow elementary school in, uh, in Pasadena. Love that place. In fact, my mom had attended Longfellow as well, long before I had. Anyway, I, I remember looking out from the playground, uh, north towards the San Gabriel mountains, not being able to see them because of the smog. And I remember eyes burning and, and throat itching and the whole thing. I think the air pollution do, uh, involving smog we anyway, actually has improved. I could be totally wrong, but as I've and I visit fairly frequently to Southern California. I don't think it's as bad as it used to be in, uh, in Southern California. However, there's lots of cars, I know that, lots of industry. And uh, I don't miss the freeways, by the way. Do not miss, especially the Orange Crush there in Orange County. Have they ever Have they ever finished highway construction down there? I'm just wondering if that will ever be done. Uh, anyway, so uh, thinking ab- about that in, in terms of pollution, I'm thinking of another kind of pollution that Sacramento is having to deal with, and that is the pollution that's happening along the American River Parkway. Now, yeah. if, uh, if you haven't driven the deltas uh, over uh, up there uh, for a time, you may not be aware of this. Uh, my wife has spent a lot of time uh, up in that area driving those deltas uh, off and on one of the problems that we're seeing right now is you're having the envir- environmentalists uh, basically telling the homeless advocates you got to get these people out of here you you've got to remove them from the homeless camps along the uh, American River Parkway what well yeah, they want the, the environment environmentalists want them gone. Well why? Well, one of the reasons is there were one hundred and fifty six fires. Those contribute to pollution. There were one hundred and fifty six fires reported in the parkway last year. That's three times more than twenty nineteen. So a Sierra Club executive member said uh, well. They don't want to harm the homeless more than they've already been harmed, but they're concerned about what is happening to the parkway. So the the Sierra Club in Sacramento is is asking city leaders to move the homeless out, move them into shelters or safer areas. In other words, don't let them be in our area. Well, (laughs) isn't that the problem? Nobody seems to want to take ownership of this so we're we're, if we're to abide by the sacramento sierra club's request here where do we put them we meaning the collective we let's say we're the government officials in sacramento where where are you going to put the homeless encampments if you're going to move them away from the rivers are you going to put them on the city streets you're going to put them in our city parks. You're going to put them in jail. Uh, you're going to put them in uh, housing projects. Uh, the, the city up there spending seventy two million dollars on a hotel conversion for one hundred and thirty four people. Do we have seventy two million dollars uh, to to spend on relocating those folks? What do you think? what should Sacramento do in response to this complaint by the Sierra Club Sacramento chapter? So the, the group points to an analysis it put together using public records. Uh, and they said, again, 156 fires last year, three times as many fires in 2019. And they said one of the chief reasons for the increase is a surge in homeless camps along the river. The quote from the report is most fires occur on the Sacramento section of the parkway and the increase in fires coincides with the stop of enforcement of the anti-camping ordinance. Well, here's the problem with that. That ordinance and others like it were found to be unconstitutional in 2018. Federal court said, nope, can't do that. So what what are they to do? So if, if you were on or are, uh, let's say you're the Sacramento mayor or you're on the city council there, uh, how would you handle this? W- where are you going to put the homeless? I mean, maybe you've got homeless encampments in your area that is very public and it's creating a health hazard. What uh, what do you think we should do? You're gonna put them on other street, move them to a different area so that the problem now becomes someone else's problem is is that a good way of dealing with the problem putting him in jail does that work how and uh, do we all have 72 million dollars at our disposal and in local governments to create these uh housing refurbishments that will uh, house maybe 130 140 people how do you think we ought to handle it 209 551 3483, our number 209 551 3483, as The Mike Douglas Show continues in three minutes on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show,
0: now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's more with the voice of the valley, Mike Douglas on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and streamed on the iHeartRadio app.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Talking about the, the homeless issue in Sacramento, again, the Sacramento Sierra Club saying, look, Sacramento, you got to clear out the homeless population, the homeless encampments along the American River Parkway because uh, they've had uh, over 100 fire, over 150 fires there. Uh, and uh, it's creating pollution and uh, a danger, and so do something. <clears throat> well, think about it in your own backyard, in our own backyard here. Uh, and if, if you've been around uh, Stanislaus County areas, uh, you, you know where many homeless encampments are. Uh, do you do you feel safe uh, hiking in and around those uh, those areas? Uh, you think of the Tuolumne River uh, areas there. Think of uh, oh I don't know Beard Brook Beard Brook Park. Uh, you think of uh, uh, the Tuolumne River there in in the airport neighborhood. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a tough tough. Tough issue to address, of course, Gavin Newsom has proposed a, a care court, but now there's uh, there's pushback on that, even and one of the uh, one of the major pushbacks on that is that there would be an element of involuntary placement in facilities if uh, someone is deemed to be not not able to take care of themselves or others. So it, it comes around to the fact that there are no simple answers. And what I don't know, what do you think of the Sierra Club's uh, solution here? Well, move it to another place. Move them to another place or um, put them in, in housing. Well, that's fine and dandy if you have the housing available, if you have the, the money and the strategies available to deal with that. Embedded in all of this is how do you deal With the mental illness issues, how do you deal with the drug addictions? How do you deal uh, with uh, with those that just hey they just lost their job? They're not, and maybe they have a car or a mini RV or a van that they're living in. Where do you park those? And so the 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 problem compounds itself as you begin to uh, peel the layers off the uh, off the onion, uh, so to speak. So uh, apparently we're, we're going to see how Sacramento is going to respond to this. Again, that 2018, if you're interested, the 2018 federal court decision was known as Martin versus Boise, and it prohibits local governments from citing homeless people for camping on public property unless a shelter bed is available. Well, that's, that's wonderful. We, we have a challenge in, in, in creating that kind of space to have those shelter beds uh, available. Uh, they're saying, and we had some very in-depth discussions because it's a sensitive issue. That's um, uh, Brad Brannon, a Sierra Club executive committee member. He says, because, you know, we're all Democrats and we don't want to harm the homeless more than they've already been harmed. Yeah, that's interesting. We're all Democrats. None of those Republicans involved in here because we know what they think about the homeless. I digress. The rest of the quote, but we're also concerned, gravely concerned, about what is happening in the parkway. The fact that one-fourth of the parkway has burned is a pretty good deal. The status quo, uh, according to uh, their discussions, is bad both for the homeless and the environment. Well, I would, I would agree with that. So what what are we doing? What, what have you seen that's working in your area? 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. I, uh, and, and I am not criticizing local government whatsoever. This is, uh, this is a tough issue. As uh, Advancing Vibrant Communities has partnered with uh, many other agencies, we've been able to uh, provide some assistance to people coming out of homelessness who've been able to get into uh, a rental situation. Much harder today because of all the rent. And, and by the time you get uh, the down payment or you get the security deposit, you get whatever's needed up front, a lot of people coming out of homelessness who've been successful in in being able to transition off the streets or off in, or out of encampments, one of the challenges is they're left with nothing monetary, uh, monetary wise, left to uh, put towards even kitchen utensils. I can't tell you how many families that we've helped with kitchen appliances, kitchen utensils, and 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 so it depends. It becomes an issue of even those who have successfully been able to transition out of a homeless environment or a homeless encampment, uh, living in a vehicle, whatever it might be, even though they can afford, get to the point of affording a rental place, the rents are so high now that uh, there's absolutely nothing left oftentimes for the other things like a bed or a table. And I believe in my heart for that is that's where uh, organizations and nonprofits like Advancing Vibrant Communities comes in. That's where congregations can come in. That's where service clubs can come in, uh, where we we need to give focus to this and do what we can to provide alternatives and uh, resources within the community uh, to deal uh, with, with these particular issues. So uh, keep a watch on that and uh, let us know if you see in your area a a home run, as far as how to deal with homeless encampments, how to reduce the danger to the public, in terms of health and safety issues, and especially as the Sacramento Club is saying, fires. Let us know. We would uh, we would love to know that. Talking about local government, and this dovetails into what we're talking about in terms of government expenditures. Um, Modesto officials according to the Modesto B, are considering a tax measure for November 22, that ballot, and uh, they got some good news apparently last Thursday. They hired a polling firm that found that 65% of voters surveyed support a sales tax increase. Were you one of those in, in the Modesto area that, supported, that would support a sales tax increase? They found that 547 of respondents were very or somewhat satisfied with city services, and 65% would support a 1% sales tax increase. And that, that would be to the general sales tax, which requires a 50% plus one vote to pass. And they say support for sales tax dropped to 60%, uh, after survey respondents heard arguments against it, including that residents already pay too much in taxes and now is not the time to raise taxes as they cope with the pandemic and inflation. So what do you think, uh, you may say, okay, Mike, what, what does that mean? What does a 1% sales tax increase mean for Modesto? Well, Modesto currently, I believe, is 7.875%. The sales tax would go to 8 0.875%, a 1% increase. And they're estimating that that would bring in an estimated $39 million annually to the general fund. What uh, what's some of the biggest are some of the biggest expenditures on the general fund? Public safety. And so uh, the finance committee voted to have uh, the city manager Prepare a ballot measure for a 1% sales tax and bring it to the full city council for consideration. And, uh, by the way, uh, this survey asked voters about their priorities, and they said the priorities to them are maintaining streets, reducing homelessness. There we go. Safer and cleaner parks. There we go. Faster 911 response times. Combating gangs and drug-related crimes and cleaning up traps and litter. Well we' we'll, we'll talk more about that. are you are you supportive of a 1% increase in the sales tax? We'll talk about it in five minutes after the top of the hour news on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
0: The show you love with even more local local news news and more local talk. talk. The Voice of the Valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show as we head into our number two here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation Big story of the day, of course. Elon Musk has has purchased Twitter to the tune of what forty billion dollars or more. That's amazing. How would you like to have that kind of income, that kind of resource available to you? Uh, but uh, he he has it. He's an incredible entrepreneur. Uh, I don't agree with him on everything, but I do have to say I admire him for for what he does. He's a man of his own convictions. And, and I get I've heard that he doesn't even have his own home, that he stays in other people's places, I guess. And uh, anyway, he's an interesting uh, interesting guy, but I, I love his entrepreneurial spirit. But anyway, not how is he going to affect change at Twitter, do you think? Our number here, 209-551-3483. And while we're talking about money, how about a 1% sales tax increase to help with the general budget? Would you be in favor of that where you live? Well, the folks in Modesto, they're going to be looking at that. And uh, the Modesto City Council uh, commissioned a uh, a uh, organization to uh, poll uh, the the the, uh, heartbeat of the community to take the pulse of the community about a, a 1% tax increase. Now, typically those tax increases go to the general budget, which supports, uh, normally things like public safety services. Now in Modesto's case, this is interesting right now, uh, the police department is reported to have 26 vacancies so apparently the police department has allocated 210 sworn officers, and but apparently they have 26 vacancies. And instead of staffing patrol with the 90 to 100 officers that optimally they need, they're operating it with 80 officers. And uh, Chief Gillespie said in an interview with uh, uh, the Modesto B that officers uh, – can earn more and, and have lower workloads at other law enforcement agencies. This isn't always an issue. Uh, this is always an issue for police departments where people can lateral to other police departments and and make more money. And that, of course, is, I mean, you can't conjure up that money. It has to come from somewhere. Either you cut the budget in some other areas and put it towards uh, public safety, or you have to raise taxes to, uh, to make up the difference. So, and then uh, uh, the city manager, Joe Lopez, says that Modesto's 76 parks have a $74 million backlog in deferred maintenance and repairs. And the city is pruning its approximately 81,000 trees that line city streets every 9 to 11 years. Now, I've, I've heard issues about this. People who have had city trees uh, with problems, it takes a long time to get that dealt with. Well, uh, apparent apparently so. And uh, if you remember, when we covered uh, the highlights from uh, Mayor Sue Zwollin's uh, State of the City address not too long ago, maybe two or three weeks ago, there was an interesting line in there that she talked about, the fact that the current... Uh, way they uh, are funding the budget was not sustainable. And uh, kind of left it at that. I think we're seeing the outcome now. So uh, that, now here's an interesting note regarding the respondents to this. And that was the uh, the company that did the um, did the polling said that in dual Republican households, which are the most conservative and tax resistance, resistant rather, the initial support was 59% favorable to a tax increase of 1% sales tax increase, but it dropped to 52.1%, almost seven points, percentage points, after they heard arguments against the tax. And he says his firm's experience in other Californian communities is that Republican support for these tax measures often comes in percentages in maybe the 30s or the 40s. So he says to have a 59% of Republicans uh, to support the proposal indicates there's clearly a lot in this measure that's attractive to residents, and it uh, rises above partisanship. So what do you think? If you're in the Modesto area, or even think of your own area, would you be willing are you, uh, are you supportive of a 1% sales tax increase in order to help, uh, help fund the deficits for public safety? Our number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Ukraine. Have you been monitoring? I'm sure you have. You can't escape it, right? It's there on social media. It's on streaming and cable. It's on network news. How how are we doing with that? Well, as you may recall this this past weekend, that uh, Mr. Zelensky in the Ukraine had some visitors, right? The U.S. Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, and uh, U.S. Defense Secretary Lord Aust- uh, Lloyd Austin. Now, I thought it was very interesting. They, they went into this meeting really under the cover of darkness. Remember Boris Johnson from the U.K., prime minister there? He was very open about it. He was walking uh, down the streets with uh, President Zelensky. He was very open about the fact that he was there. Uh, not so for uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and our Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. They um, made a, a secret uh, visit there, and I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying it's in contrast to Boris Boris Johnson. And uh, th- so they met with uh, President Zelensky. We're starting to get a few uh, inklings of, of what they talked about. But the reason I'm bringing this up is Sunday night— uh, General, uh, and, and you, you may have remembered him from the uh, Trump administration. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg uh, was, um, and you'll see, National Security Advisor. You remember to Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, he uh, served as the Executive Secretary and Chief of Staff of the United States National Security Council in the Trump admi- administration. He was also a National Security Advisor on an acting basis, right after Michael Flynn uh, resigned. So he um, he was being interviewed by Trey Gowdy on Fox Sunday night. Now, why am I bringing this up? This is probably one of the most coherent and succinct, and I think common sense approaches to, what should we be giving to Ukraine in order for them to win? Do we want Russia to win? I don't think so. I, I mean, even just taking a look at it in a in a moral way, uh, an ethical way, I can't believe that anyone would side with Russia. Now, I know there are some that do, and there are some interesting theological perspectives on that. I understand that, but... Uh, uh, just in terms of common sense, looking what Russia is doing, looking what Vladimir Putin is doing, uh, I I think most Americans, I think, would say, we want Ukraine to win so that they can remain independent. Well, what's it going to take? I think one of the angsts I have is it seems that we at the in the United States of America are being so reactive, so slow to react that we're way behind the eight ball, so to speak. We are way behind the power curve, and although we're providing Ukraine with dollars and things, it doesn't seem to be on a timeline that really helps them get a heavy hand on the Russians. I'd like to play just a a few uh, clips from this interview with uh, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg and Trey Gowdy from Sunday night. Let me know what you think, and we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a couple of minutes. But let me get to, uh, let me get to his comments here and, uh, and see what you think about them. First of all, General Kellogg, Lieutenant General Kellogg, talked about what he th- thinks that the U.S. should be supplying to Ukraine.
2: It's a heavy fight now. It's a much more of a conventional fight. And you need heavy, you need heavy weapons. That means heavy artillery.
1: Heavy weapons, heavy artillery. That's his assessment of where we are right now or where Ukraine is in terms of the fight and how Russia is, uh, is conducting its uh, intrusions into Ukraine. And then, this is interesting, he expressed frustration that we are not sending Ukraine what it needs to win. Look,
2: a little bit of my frustration is we're not giving them exactly what they need. They give them these howitzers of 155 millimeter, which gives you about 20 miles of range. What they really also need is what we call MLRS, which is rocket-launched missile systems that doubles your range to about 40 miles. That's what the Russians use. That's what we should give them to use as well with counter-battery as well. It comes in a tracked version and a wheeled version. They also could use drones, not just the handheld drones, the switchblade drones, but let's give them predator drones. Let's give them things that really pack a wallop, carry Hellfire missiles, have a lot more stand on standoff time that, that they can use against deeper targets.
1: Yeah, doesn't that make sense? It, make, it makes sense to me. I think he's very very succinct, and he's very specific. No smoke and mirrors here. And then uh, the, the third um, comment I'd like to uh, play for you is, He was talking about the visit of of U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to go visit President Zelensky. And uh, Lieutenant General Kellogg talked about questions he was hoping that President Zelensky would have asked Blinken and Austin.
2: I know there's a reported meeting going on with both Blinken and Austin, and I hope he's asking Lloyd Austin for these things. Remember, he said last week, Zelensky, don't come empty-handed. I would also hope he asked Blinken, look, 20 other countries have put their, their consulates and their embassies back into Kyiv. Why hasn't the United States gone back into Kyiv with our embassy, the U.S. embassy? So I think he's got a series of questions to ask, both on the warfighting side with, with Austin and the diplomatic side uh, with Tony Blinken.
1: Great food for thought. We'll get your comments and your thoughts on that coming up in three minutes. Our phone number here, 209 551 3483. 209 551 3483. As the Mike Douglas show continues in three minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
0: The Mike Douglas Show. Now, weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 1360 KFIV is your place online. Let's get social with Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. I'm reaching for my. My coffee mug here. I'm only on my eighth cup of coffee today, and so I'll be waking up soon. Don't worry. Again, welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here as your concierge for a conversation. Been talking a bit about, I thought it was a very good interview by Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. This is a guy that I think is very matter of fact. Um, I, I, I think he's, he, he is succinct. I think he boils things down in ways that uh, are, are understandable to the average guy and gal out there. And I, I think he was very clear that he thinks that we're behind the power curve when it comes to helping out in Ukraine, that, that we're uh, playing catch-up rather than staying ahead of the game in terms of equipping Ukraine with the things they need. And uh, and so anyway, I, I admire him. Uh, admire him uh, quite a bit here on the local level. We've been also been talking about a, a a rise, possibly a raising of the sale tax in Modesto, one percent, in order to fund things like emergency services. And uh, we've been asking about your thoughts on that. What about your area? Would you pay one uh, percent more in sales tax for? an increase in, uh, in public safety. Let's find out what you think at 209-551-3483. Yeah, let's go to David, uh, in Oakdale. David, what do you think about a sales tax increase?
3: Well, I can't believe anybody wants to raise taxes on themselves, but I guess the first comment is I'm curious how much this survey costs them because they either, you know, think the people are Want to tax themselves or not? Why spend money finding out? Just put that money in a savings account. And they have enough money. They abuse the system. And I say they, I'm just saying the, the powers that be of all the cities in the county. Number one, why do we need a, a, a city government? We need one government in the county, and we can get rid of all the city managers and all the overhead in the, in the cities that we don't need. That would save millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. And the county has a what's called a CAFER account. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not.
1: Are no, you? go over that with me.
3: Okay. Well, KFIR account was established in 1937. And what it was supposed to be is, uh, it's California code section 31, The purpose of this chapter is to recognize the public obligation to county and district employees who become incapacitated by age or long service, uh, in public employment. So, it started in nineteen thirty seven and that account they call it a KFAR account, but basically it's a pension account for them. And the last time I looked at it was 2018, and they had two billion. Let me see. Uh, this the two, yeah, two, they had two billion two hundred and eight million two hundred forty one thousand four hundred and thirty two dollars in that account. That's two billion with a B. That's our money that they've set aside for themselves. They don't need that money. Basically, the cities and the counties are for-profit corporations, and they're for-profit. So the more employees they hire, you know, the, then I now you know, yesterday I couldn't spell supervisor. Today I are one, so now I get a you know ten thousand dollar raise, and then you start looking at some of the pensions they get. And, again, this was in, well, there was a pension here, a Michael Krosnick, who retired in 2012, gets $238,566. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? 6666 six, six, six. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> he gets $238,566. You know, $238,566 66 all right, and then it goes down from there. But this guy gets that every year. Are you kidding me? I'm in business for myself. I've been working for 50 years. And when I t- retire, I guarantee you, not one of my customers is going to send me a check.
1: Uh, no, a- so ab- why
3: do we pay these people?
1: <laughs> Absolutely not, David. Uh, and uh, just curious, and, and you're not obligated to, to say, but what kind, what type of industry are you in? Uh,
3: agriculture, basically. Okay. Designing, and engineering, and construction.
1: Okay, all right. Uh, so I, I, think one of the, and and this is my perspective, having served in government, David, uh, in the emergency services realm for half my working career, anyway, and and that is that there's not a there's not a profit mindset in terms of how you approach things in a business manner with government. Uh, a guy like you who may own his own business, uh, you, you, you have to be very, very smart about your decisions. You have to be uh, very judicious in your expenses, and, and you look at those uh, in, 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 uh, in relation to the income that you're having uh, come in, and, and you have to be very wise about that and process that because you do need to make a profit in order to pay employees and for you to have some uh, pay, et cetera, in government, government officials often don't understand that. They don't have that mindset. And I'm not attacking anyone in, in, yeah. in general. I'm just saying that the government, in general, government workers don't have that type of a mindset. so efficiency is not always uh, at, at the forefront of what we're uh, what we're talking about. Uh, but David, you, you always yeah. you always give us food for thought. David, thanks for the call. I uh, appreciate that <laughs> right. very much. David from Oakdale always gives us good food for thought, as uh, as do many of you. Uh, David saying, why don't we just get rid of the city governments and just have one county government? Uh, and I, I can I can hear the response from a lot of uh, charter cities and, and such, but it, it, it comes back to how do we best manage the money, that we currently have are there ways we could shift uh the budgets from other areas toward those areas that uh, are are screaming for help as in turn as in uh, public safety uh there are always options to look at uh but modesto this is a, i find this incredible that the survey they took says a lot of people are saying yeah we'll we'll do the one percent Sales tax. We'll talk more about that and other issues coming up in five minutes here on The Mike Douglas Show, Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from three
0: till five on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A pastor with passion, a minister with manners. Now back to The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas with you, your personal concierge for conversation. And I am honored to serve in that role for you as we discuss the issues of the day that affect you and me directly here in California's Central Valley. Beautiful day this afternoon. Just uh, one of those transition days from the spring to the summer. By the way, for those of you who care, uh, John Deere rides again. Yes, my friends, those titanium weeds thought they had me. They were mocking me after that deluge we had for a short short time last week. And those titanium weeds stood out there openly mocking me every time that I walked out on the uh, Douglas property there. But uh, thanks to my buddy Greg in Oakdale, John Deere rides again. And I tell you, those titanium weeds mock no more. That uh, John Deere hums like it hasn't hummed since I first got it in. I think it was 2005 or 2006. Uh, just want, one of the. I know we'll get to the important stuff here in a minute, but one one of the things that gives me great satisfaction. I don't have a lot of downtime. Uh, well, when I have downtime, it's like in the middle of the night when I should be sleeping. But so I don't have a lot of downtime. So I, I take the the times that I get, and I, I like to do things that are immediately productive, but don't take a lot of brain power. I like to kind of relax my head. I'm not writing sermons. I'm not preparing for the show. I'm not dealing with um, uh, advancing vibrant communities, administrative issues. Not I. I love doing all that, but the, I like the downtimes. And getting on Mr. John Deere there, uh, revving him up and, and hitting that little yellow button there, getting those uh, three blades going in their 48-inch swath, I uh, just love it. You go down the uh, the line there, and, and you look backwards, and you see all those titanium weeds gone. Just, poof, just a, a nice flat, uh, serv- I call it carpeting the area there's just something satisfying about that and and it's therapeutic for me it's it's relaxing do you do you do that kind of stuff to relax when, when you have downtime i i i love the immediacy of having uh an an immediate effect i can see that titanium weeds are gone at Advancing Vibrant Communities when we were doing the graffiti wipeouts. Uh, one of the reasons we did that with junior hires and high, schooler was, as high schoolers uh, was that they got an immediate result from their manual labor. In other words, uh, out, the, out there in the heat, painting out, gang tagging, and they could see the immediate beautification of those alleyways. And then neighbors would come out and thank them. And uh, they, they, they got an immediate uh, result from it. So I think there's, there's something therapeutic in, in doing something that gets you an immediate result. So anyway, John Deere rides again, and it's, it's my, uh, kind of my therapy time out there just to um, be quiet, to think, talk to God a bit, and, and get something done that's, uh, that's, really, uh, that's really important. All right, moving up. I just got a, I got a question here from produce, assistant producer Brenda, who also serves as the director of operations for Advancing Vibrant Communities. She says, "Any sighting of the mailbox snake? No, no. And I have been on watch because now's the time when that dude or or dudette, whatever it is, uh, makes an appearance, and it, it will stick its little head." out of its little hole, it's not a little head anymore, big head, and do the <laughs> thing with a tongue, you know, the forked tongue. And uh, it's just, it mocks me too. And uh, again, as, I, as I've told you as, as our audience in the past, I made a deal with the mailbox snake. I don't want you in the mailbox, but you can live around the mailbox if you go take care of the gophers. Has the snake taken care of the gophers? No. Mailbox snake not doing its job. So when that mailbox snake, if and when it makes another appearance, that mailbox snake and I are going to have a talk. And uh, I'm going to have to contact its union rep, and we're going to get down to, to the nitty-gritty here on if you're going to stay around, if I'm going to allow you to stay around on my property, then you have to do your job and and take care of those uh, of those gophers. So there's your answer. Nope, have not seen the the mailbox snake yet. Well, I told you some of the, th- much of the time that I'm riding out there on the John Deere for a couple hours, I'm also talking to God a bit. Well, here's a guy talking to God and got him in front of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Have you heard this story? I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that, that you have. He's a former football coach, And his name is Joseph Kennedy, which is interesting. Not the Joseph Kennedy, obviously. But he used to um, pray at the 50-yard line after each football game where he was a coach at Bremerton High School in the state of Washington. And this he got fired. He got fired from his coaching job because he would kneel and pray at the 50-yard line after each game. And so during the arguments before the Supreme Court, Justice Elena Kagan said a coach praying may put a, quote, kind of coercion on students to participate in religious activities when they may not wish to. So they're hearing the case, and apparently the decision will come down maybe sometime in, uh, in June. So the, the coach was told, you, you can't do that. And here is, here's his uh, recollection of of how that went down. And when the school district uh, said, hey, we can eliminate all of this, the the what ifs, if I only just stop praying with the kids. And that's exactly what I did. All right. So uh, he apparently wasn't coercing anyone. Elena, Justice Elena Kagan, saying the fact that you're doing it and that you're a coach may be a kind of coercion. To participate in your religious activities when they may not really wish to. Well, as uh, as the discussions proceeded, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch weighed in, and he asked for clarification. He said, "What about this policy about employees encouraging or discouraging prayer?" Uh, Justice Gorsuch looking for a clarification. So the coach was forbidden from discouraging. Private student prayer. Absolutely, he was forbidden from discouraging prayer. That's an interesting, almost a double negative, isn't it? You have to think through that. And uh, and then uh, his uh, Joseph Kennedy's, the high school football coach, his special counsel from the First Liberty Institute is named Jer- Jeremy Dice, and he talked about the tough choices that the coach uh, that the coach faced.
3: I think no American should be having to face the choice of choosing between their faith and the job that they love. That's exactly what Coach Kennedy had to face almost seven years ago now.
1: All right, so you're saying, well, Mike, as a pastor, you're, you, you're probably rooting for the coach. Well, I, I think there are many things we need to think about here. I believe if the coach or anyone else wants to kneel at the 50-yard line after a game, they ought to be allowed to do that. Uh, just as, well, somebody employed by a school or or a city that wears a burqa ought to be allowed to wear the burqa. Even in law enforcement today, you see um, some men wearing uh, their their turban uh, because that's part of their religion. Well, if, if that's allowable, that seems like it's an exercise of religious conviction, why can't a guy, as long as he's not forcing any kids to do it, why can't he kneel at the 50-yard line if he wants to and, and do a silent prayer? So uh, this will be interesting uh, to see how this well, What do you think? you think the coach should have quit praying on the 50-yard line before he got fired, or do you think it was right that he got fired, or do you think he has a right? Any coach. Has a right to pray silently at the 50 yard line if they want to. 209 551 3483, our number 209 551 3483. We'll continue the discussion about prayer and whether that subject has a prayer in the future or not. Coming up on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
0: Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. He's got issues. Let's talk about it. The Mike Douglas Show, on air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show, again here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your. Concierge for Conversation as we take a look at a lot of of issues today here on the Mike Douglas Show. One of them is uh, taxes. uh, Modesto looking at a potential 1% uh, sales tax increase. And uh, that would uh, presumably fund the general fund, which funds things like public safety. So what do you think about that dynamic, uh, increasing sales taxes and how those taxes are used? our number here 209-551-3483 let's find out what Kathleen from Oakdale has to say good afternoon Kathleen
4: uh good afternoon Mike um i was thinking that uh uh well the american uh river parkway uh problem with the with the homeless um they could uh create a um, a uh let's see uh, a core a um Home and Vehicle Service Corps, uh, where uh, the homeless people could always join that corps, and uh, in exchange for room and board, um, they um, could uh, do uh, learn and uh, perform um, home services, including appliance servicing and and uh, vehicle servicing. Uh, the same, and um, and this would always be generating um, a lot of. Uh, uh, let's see, uh, skilled workers base uh, for the uh, the county, and so then therefore uh, that would be a productive form of government, and so we would get our money back on that, that our tax dollars back on that, and so I agree completely with uh, the caller David that uh, we don't need so much city government, and uh, we could save a lot of money and um so maybe the solution isn't so much to raise the taxes in Modesto but to close down the Modesto city government and uh just uh go with the Stanislaus county um getting uh the sales tax um and um
1: uh, that's uh, again an interesting proposal, Kathleen. Uh, thanks for the call. I want to squeeze in another caller here before we have to go. Thanks for your thoughts. So we have uh, two folks from Oakdale today, uh, David and Kathleen, saying uh, let's let's do away with municipalities and let's just have county government uh, running things. Uh, Kathleen, I do like your your ideas, and I think this is along the lines of the. California Conservation Corps, maybe uh, to uh, to train uh, folks in homeless camps, uh, to uh, uh, in trades and in other public service things where they can begin to earn their way. Uh, I like that aspect of it. the The problem inherent in in that is when you're dealing with those who are. Uh, who are dealing with drug addictions, those who may have mental illness, uh, that's not something you can do with them right away. It might be something that can be done after uh, a long uh, a long time of treatment. But there, uh, I, I would assume, be a significant a, a number of people who could not actually perform those trades. But I like the thought, uh, Kathleen, uh, uh, very much. Uh, so continuing this thought on on answers to the homeless problem again, what precipitated our discussion is the uh, uh, the environmentalists up in Sacramento uh, saying, "Look, your homeless encampments, they're destroying the American River Parkway. Uh, need to move them out." Well. Okay, what, where do we move them? Uh, what are some of the answers here, and, and what are the answers in your own neighborhood? Uh, let's go back to the phones, 209-551-3483. Mark from Modesto. Mark, what are your thoughts?
5: What's up? Uh, I've got my own little apartment here, and I'm paying quite a bit of rent, and it takes about over three of my paychecks so uh it's very uh tough and if i become homeless which i've been before it's just very unrealistic the whole scenario you're speaking about for anything uh it's just almost impossible it's like a becoming a socialist ideal and uh you know that doesn't work probably i don't know what you know but
1: and mark it's just, uh, uh what from your perspective and i'm glad you called because you bring a, a perspective i think that's that's good for us to hear uh, from your perspective yeah. what's needed what what as a culture as a society as uh, citizens and government right now What should we be doing that would help that we're not doing in in, in your mind?
5: Okay. I live in a 55 and older apartment building and, uh, I don't think there is an answer actually. Uh, and I have a full-time job and I just, I've already studied my, uh, retirement social security. If I retire, I just, uh, I don't see a solution at all, in my opinion. Unless I don't know, unless you're uh, some very great uh, capitalist. But um, the way you talk about the homeless is like some giant uh, socialist agenda, and I know I have a good feeling that won't work.
1: Now, when you when you say a know. giant socialist agenda, help me understand what you're. What do you mean by that?
5: Well, um, first of all, you're just talking about housing, which uh, the homeless, which uh, if I uh, didn't have a job, I could never rent this apartment, for example. And there's just everything is just pretty much uh, for the homeless, I think, phony. There is no way to fix anything, in my opinion. You're just talking about spending a bunch of money on a bunch of people that uh, uh, aren't going to help anybody, in my opinion. I don't know how, like you say. what are you going to do? There's no way. What are you going to build? Uh, you could dig. Uh, you could build giant uh, something like the Double Tree and uh, like I see a lot of uh, the buildings in Ukraine getting bombed, they house, uh, hundreds of people. So I don't
1: know. Well, what, I know uh, what I, I've got about a minute left, Mark, and I, I'm really glad you called because I, I, I do want to hear your perspective. Just so knowing we got about a minute left, what helped you get to where you are right now? What, what did you do? What did others do to help you or what did you do to yourself to get where you are right now? Work. Okay. Work. Work. There you go. Went okay. to school.
5: Do what I had to do. But I know when you're single or alone or I'm sure the women that have children, it's just complex and I get it. And I don't know how social service can uh, save that. Uh, I don't. Well, really I believe in that,
1: but I, I think that one of your like you're
5: making that the solution. Like,
1: yeah, I think one of uh, 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 a major point that you're bringing up right now, Mark, is and, and you've been there. You're an expert, uh, is that there are no easy solutions. And, you know, so yeah. if, if we're flippantly providing, and Mark, thanks for the call very much. I, I do appreciate you calling in and, and giving us your perspective. Uh, I think one of, one of the values of what Mark was just saying to us is that he's been there and he doesn't have any easy solutions. He, he got into a rental place because he's working hard. But not all who are in a homeless situation are able to do that, especially if they're steeped in addictions and, and there's mental illness involved. Mark, I admire you, my friend, for your courage, uh, for sharing your heart with us, and for being on the show today. Thanks for that. I will see you tomorrow at 3 o'clock here on The Mike Douglas Show, Power Talk 1360 KFIV.